Hello. Hello. Were you going to say something? I, I was, but it was pointless. Just a silly 90s pop culture reference. Well, then it's or, never pointless, and maybe, now I have to know. Maybe it wasn't 90s. Maybe it was early 2000s. Well, then I don't I care. Lose track, I don't was, care. Then. I, just, <laughs> I just realized over the weekend that uh, Clueless was an That's adaptation 90s. of uh, Jane Austen's Emma, which I never realized Really? Before. Yeah. I knew that. I never feel like that, that was something. That's that's definitely nineties. But since I was like ninety five, ninety six, something like that. But it's all anything after like nineteen eighty one is all the same to me. It all just kind of blurs oh, together. Take that so, back. So as how, as how, if how, how would you know? You weren't even born until after that. Eighty eight. So. My sister was born in eighty one. Right. Yeah, in eighty eight, I got married. Well. <laughs> I'm gonna be 32 tomorrow. Which makes sense since you're, you know, a grade ahead of my son in school. It just occurred to me uh, this morning as I was thinking about some of the. I was at the school doing the student prayer group uh, <laughs> that we do on Tuesdays. I and saw Fridays. you at the corner store. I did. I waved to you actually. I, I actually recognized it as you, which doesn't <laughs> happen every day. But anyway, I, I was there and I was watching um, my daughter and uh, <laughs> her classmates and two girls who were daughters of girls that I had in, in class, Amanda, mm-hmm. uh, Amanda Barker's class, and, and Colin Warner and, and you know all these people. So I, I'm seeing these kids in eighth grade, realizing that these parents of these kids are older than I was when I was teaching them in class and coaching at the time. And it was like, guess how old I was? <laughs> I don't want to. I was 32 at the time. <laughs> I don't want to. Stacy turns 32 tomorrow. Tomorrow, 32-year-old so, lady. So happy early birthday. I feel... This podcast is a gift to you. <laughs> this podcast is always a gift to me. Because we are the home of professional podcasting. If you really loved me, you would have gotten me a shirt with that. <laughs> I'm worried because so. they're saying we're going to get really bad weather. And I wanted to go out. It's Michigan. How bad can I it I wanted get? to go out for a burger tomorrow night because that's my favorite. And now it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But make, we'll see. Make it happen. Commit to the burger. It Commit. might be my last burger. Commit <laughs> to the burger. To drive, you you but... grew up here. Your car's all-wheel drive. It's true. So, I mean, what? it's not like you got my car that decides to go skating Just in the middle of this. hook Oliver so. up to a sled. There you go. Let's go. Let's talk about Jesus. You know, <laughs> are you going to connect this somehow to what we're talking about? Well, I mean, there is a reality that that the truth of the weather will determine the consequences of your driving. Oh, so when you choose to drive in that weather, that there is a cause and effect. There is. Well, yeah, there you're is, contradicting yourself. Like something bad's going to happen. No, I'm just saying whatever whatever you choose, there's going to be consequences from it. If you choose to stay home, the consequences you don't get no burger. So there's Probably there's a reality toast to crunch. that. So over the weekend, my sister-in-law <laughs> discovered Cinnamon Toast Crunch uh, Creamer. The, I got the, that. The it, coffee. It, no, it was International Delight. International Delight. Yeah. It was pretty darn good. It's real good. They so have a Funfetti I, cake one, too, but I'm nervous to I try don't, that. I don't put stuff in my coffee. Coffee should be black, as God intended it. False. And, well, it, eventually you'll get discipled and you'll realize that. But, <laughs> but all Christians drink coffee black, and the rest are <laughs> still working on maturity in, in the faith. This is... Clearly, <laughs> facetious, don't email about that. There are plenty of other things to email and complain right. about. Don't complain about that. Anyhow, as this is going to be the first com- like real complaint <laughs> right. we get. We, get, we, get, we finally get your voicemail as somebody calls and says, so, give me a mug, and Christians drink cream in their coffee. Real life things that Christians so, do. That's, and anyway, yes. I, and I stand by my position. But anyway, <clears throat> as, we're, uh, as we're talking about Acts chapter 5, we're... We are uh, looking at the idea that the holiness of God demands integrity in those who represent him. And, and uh, we see that 
that core reality as the heart of what happens in the first part of Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. And I think most people are pretty familiar with the story itself, um, but maybe not seeing it in the context. And, and so as we look at, uh, whenever we're looking at, at Scripture, we want to look at not just an individual verse or an individual story, but but the entire flow of that story, just as we would with any other book. You know, we mentioned with a, a very profoundly relevant uh, reference to Jane Austen's Emma and Clueless, which had absolutely nothing to do with anything, except for if you were to lift out a particular conversation or a comment out of that book or any other book and just look at it on the face of that statement or that sentence, mm-hmm. you're going to dramatically miss everything that, that the whole story is about. Right. So if you were to, to pull up a scene from a Jane Austen novel and look at that, that you might not have any idea what the actual point of the story is. If you were to look at any any great novel or any nonfiction book, and I've said this before, as people have criticized everybody from you know from Joel Osteen to you know John Piper or whoever else, if you really want to criticize people or, or Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or whatever, if you want to criticize people on sound bites, then you could criticize any of us. I mean, you could pull up any sermon I've ever preached, and if you take out a 30-second or a two-minute clip and don't see the overall context of it, you could dramatically misinterpret what well, I'm saying. Well, you can literally do that about anything. Well, yeah. I mean, that's scary. You know, sometimes it's funny because I've had people actually leave the church because I'm too soft on sin, I'm not theological enough, I don't preach, you know, Calvinism, or I don't preach Arminianism, whatever their particular theological bent is. And, and actually just not come back because it was, you know, well, you're too, you're all about this cheap grace. And other people are like, you are so fire and brimstone. I can't come back. You know, it's too, you're too hard. You're too heavy. And I'm like, hey, I'm just reading the book. You know, that's, I got nothing to say about this other than I want to try to the very best of my ability under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to be as faithful to what the author intends us to get or intends his original audience to get as possible. And to do that, you have to look at the whole picture. You really have to. And, and understanding that God is ultimately the author of the entire book, God is writing a story from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation in the written word, but from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to the consummation in, in actual history that we're still uh, walking through right now. And so as we look at the book of as we look at this story we have to look at it in the context of the book of acts and as we look at the book of acts we have to look at the, that in the context of the new testament as we look at the new testament we have to look at that in the context of the entire Breathe. of the entirety of scripture so if we don't see the whole counsel of god of his money from a property that he sold to the church. And very often we walk away from that thinking, well, man, that means I have to sell my property and I have to give everything to the church. And if I hold back something, then I'm being greedy. But that's really not the point of the story at all. And that's not what Peter condemns. It's not what what the Holy Spirit is judging here. Um, But we do see a contrast, and it it maybe helps to set that up if we look at the end of chapter 4, uh, and, and we started there on Sunday as we, we looked through um, the lens of what's going on in the church. And uh, I, I think it was Calvin in, in his commentary 
on Acts uh, said that really up until this point, it looks more like a, a, a gathering of angels than of humans. That, that so far in the book of Acts, everything is good. Everything is right. Everything is on track. Mm-hmm. The focus is on Christ. And because the focus is, is on Christ, there's unity, unity among the believers. Um, everybody is devoting themselves to the doctrine, to the, the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship together, to communion and worship and prayer. And, and uh, nobody has any needs in the church because everybody's taking care of one another because the focus is completely on Christ until now. Now, w- right out of the gate, there's a misconception that we can easily fall into in thinking that wow, these people are without sin. From the time the Holy Spirit enters them, there's no sin until Ananias and Sapphira show up with the first sin in the church. And I think that would be just an egregious mistake because every single person is a mixture. you know. They're still people. And that was the case all the way through the Old Testament as well. Moses had sin and he talked face to face with God. David had sin. Everybody has this this mix within us from our sin right. nature. I was talking to my mom about that. Which is that. why we need a Christ. All right. I was talking to my mom about that the other day, that, you know, these huge figures in the Bible, Moses, Noah, David, they all had their own... What are we looking at? Did you point towards something? They all had their our, own... Our, um, our dead YouTube. Oh, great. Uh, they all had their own sin. And it's talked about frequently yeah. within the Bible. So it's this idea that the church is perfect or that you as an individual has to be perfect is kind of... Ridic. Right, yeah. And so it's easy for us to look at it that way and say, well, you know, man, the Holy Spirit makes us perfect. Right. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us perfect. He makes us his, makes us Christ's. He makes us able then to live in that resurrection life so that we can overcome the sin tendency that's in our nature. And if that weren't the case, then Paul wouldn't have ever written uh, Romans 6 and 7 in, in dealing with the, the presence of sin in our lives and yet reckon, reckoning ourselves dead to sin. And of himself, he later on calls himself the chief of sinners, but in Romans 7, he's like, man, I I keep going through the same stuff. I keep sinning when I don't want to sin. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want to sin, I know that this is not me doing it. It's not my desire. My will joyfully confirms through the will of God because of the Holy Spirit in me. But because I want to do right and I still struggle with this, that tells me it isn't me. It's not who I am. I'm not defined by this. But there is still sin present, sin dwelling in me that is pulling at me. This I still have this this flesh, this human physical body, the emotional baggage of my past, the, the all of the different um, factors that have made me who I am to this point. And I'm walking through this process of sanctification as the Holy Spirit is growing me and discipling me. So anyway, there has been sin unquestionably. It, it's impossible to read the whole of scripture and not have that as a basic uh, presupposition going into this. And yet, Amid this, they're overcoming sin because their focus, it's, it's not the willful sin. It's not the, uh, the being okay with sin or choosing it, uh, but we're still stumbling. We're still mm-hmm. walking through it. Without question, they still dealt with fears, but we're seeing the recording of them being bold. But the fact that we're recording them being bold is to be a juxtaposition against the natural state of anxiety and fear in all of us. So here... 
in uh, 32 we see in 432 we see that uh, all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own but they shared everything they had uh, and, and as we go along here seeing both this and what Peter says in chapter 5 this is not in any way promoting uh, socialism communism you know any kind of a Marxist idea that that possessions are bad and that's been a, 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 a false teaching that has come up in the church a number of times uh, that was not what Jesus taught. It's not what the apostles teach. It's not what Paul teaches in his letters. Uh, in fact, Peter goes on to say, you have stuff, and it's okay for you to have stuff. And, and we see wealthy people coming to Christ and that stuff then being used. The point had been made previously of holding on loosely to the stuff that God's given us because all of our possessions, all of our treasure are really tools to build the kingdom. So... They're, they're all caught up in this, and, and he finishes chapter 4 with the example of Barnabas, uh, a man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Interestingly, uh, Levites did not own property in Israel. They didn't have the inherited property of the other tribes. In fact, your mom was just reading this a uh, week or two ago as she's reading through the, the Old Testament, and she brought this up to me. Wait a minute. So the Levites didn't actually get land? No, what they got was the ministry of the temple, they, of the tabernacle and then later the temple. They actually interacted with God on behalf of the people. So their inheritance was so much better than land. But whether this was, you know, uh, Barnabas's wife's property, you know, maybe he married uh, somebody who was not a Levite, or whether it was property that was picked up later on, or, or whether these practices had been abandoned since the exile, and, you know, things had, had been, many things had been modified or done differently. Right, right. <clears throat> um, not because God changed them, but because people changed them. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, you know, maybe along the way, maybe this is some, some land that he owned back in Cyprus. Who knows? But in any case, uh, the apostles called this guy Joseph Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. We'll see him show up with Paul later on. And uh, the last verse of chapter 4 says, He sold a field he owned and brought the pop, the." and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So you can see <clears throat> right here there's, there's a deliberate juxtaposition that Luke is making between Joseph, Barnabas, doing it right, and Ananias and Sapphira doing it wrong. And yet, he's not saying everybody. It's just from time to time uh, in verse... Uh, verse 34, uh, from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So it wasn't just everybody put everything in a pot, right. but as we see needs or as we see opportunities, then uh, we, we come up with an appropriate means of sharing <clears throat> what God has given me that he has not given to somebody else. There was no like, you must do this right. once it a was, month. Or it was whatever. not compulsory. Right. Right. The apostles were not saying, hey, give away your stuff, right. you know. It, it was something that came from within. It was impelled, not compelled. So as uh, as they do this, Ananias and Sapphira do the same thing. Verse 2, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? The focus becomes clearer and clearer as we go through this. The focus is on the lie not on what he kept. Just to clarify, uh, in verse 4, Peter says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? In other words, you didn't have to do this. Right. This is yours. You do what you want to do with it. But you chose to do this and to pretend that it was something other than what it was. 
after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. And so as Peter's saying here, and obviously Luke is truncating the conversation to, to some extent, he's getting this later through interviews and mm-hmm. he's not present with them. So as Luke investigates, records this from the sources, uh, Peter is, is telling him, look, if you had not done anything, you'd have been better off. You'd have been better to keep the property, not give anything at all, than to sell the property, pretend that you're giving everything so that you look holy and pious. Right. Your, your, your focus is not right. You're not thinking of Christ. You're not thinking of others. You're thinking of coming forward and looking good. It's like when you know when people pass the plate in church, and you want to you know kind of snap that hundred dollar bill so people notice it. You know, people see you put that big check in there, or you do it specifically because you saw the person next to you give a certain amount. Right. So I want to make sure that I give one up, yeah, or or at least the same. Right. I don't want to give less. Which right. is actually one of the reasons that we don't take a uh, collection of that. We don't pass a plate at at real life is because I, the last thing we want to do is foster an environment where people are giving out of guilt or feeling compelled. We want people to give because they want to give based on their relationship with Christ. Now, there are times when we we may take up a periodic collection for, we did that a few times when a family in town, their house burned down, so we took up a collection at the time. Uh, And and there's nothing wrong with that. We don't do it because of stories like this. I don't want bad motives. God doesn't need your money. He needs yourself. He needs your whole life. He demands that. But he already owns everything. So if God wants to take your money, he can take your money. He doesn't need you to give it. He'll just take it. But he doesn't choose to operate that way. So uh, as we see them here, same, the same thing applies. God wants Ananias to give because Ananias has given already with a cheerful heart. He's already given himself. But clearly that's not what's happening. Peter, being alerted to this by the Holy Spirit, then confronts him on it. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So her husband died three hours ago. Now I'm not sure what the delay was, why, you know, why she wasn't right. there with him, who knows. But about three hours ago, her husband dies. She comes in, doesn't know her husband is dead. And Peter says, tell me, is this amount that's here, is this the price that Ananias got for the land, for the, you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And we've already been told she knows, she has full knowledge of what's going on. It's not that Ananias did this and deceived his wife. She's in on the gig, right? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, it's got to be just, I'm just trying, I'm not trying in any way to be glib. I think it may have come across glib when I spoke on it Sunday. Imagine being these young men mm-hmm. who, who carry, who, you're already in awe in, 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 in fear of God because this guy was publicly called out by the Holy Spirit and died. You just took him out and buried him. By the time you get back in, his wife has died, and you got to go do the same thing again. It's, it's got to be mind-blowing, and I'm sure physically exhausting as well, however they went about the burying. They came in finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. 
in verse 11, the, the result of this, the culmination, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And then it goes on to talk about the, the great things the apostles are still doing, performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them. Obviously, there's a, a big element of fear, as we just saw in 11. No one else dared join them, even though all of the church here, all of the believers as a group, they were highly regarded by the people. So the people saw them. They recognized, as they did with Christ, the authority of the teaching, the strength of, of what's happening. They, they see the affirmation or, or the attesting of these miracles, and they recognize, wow, this, they got something going on here. But heck no i'm not gonna be i'm not getting close to that right uh i know i've got sin if he got called out because he gave half his money i didn't give any so they may be confused right. just like we get right. confused uh and so what ends up happening here in the process is there's a purifying a, a a winnowing that that takes place and on this threshing floor of faith the wind of the holy spirit blows away the chaff so that only the, the, the true grain, the true uh, fruit here remains. Uh, 14, even though in, in 13 it says no one else dared join them, in 14 it says, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought, in the, sick, brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them and, and, as he passed by. So we're seeing this continued growth in the church, but what we don't see, and this is the great juxtaposition of this passage, is the, the, the contrast between false believers, casual, cultural, nominal Christians, uh, which we'll probably talk about in a few weeks, and, and true believers who have that fear and recognize, my only hope is Christ. God is holy. God judges what is unholy. I am unholy, and I am absolutely absolutely rightly judged by God, but I choose to repent and receive this grace that Christ is offering. And then those folks are added to the church, despite the fear, despite that everybody's afraid of it. Right. They see the truth. They grasp, they grasp the reality of Christ. They're consumed with that reality. And whatever it costs me, okay, it, it doesn't even matter anymore. Because I, I see reality, and I want to be a part of that. So that's where we see that the holiness of God demands integrity in those who represent him. And God cleans up the church. You know, we've seen so many scandals over the year. God's not afraid of outing his own or people who claim to be his. So when we don't operate in a way that honors God, if we don't represent Christ in a way that, that reflects his reality, and, and we see this all the time now with people who... Uh, claim to be Christians, claim to be churches, but they distort the scriptures to promote uh, a worldly picture of... Or specific agendas or whatever. Right, so the, the politics becomes bigger than, than the gospel. But there is no gospel of grace without the gospel of truth. If we don't see the truth that we're created for God, we're created in his image for his glory to be perfect, and sin separates us from God and keeps us from fulfilling that purpose. Therefore, as the wages of that sin, every single one of us deserves and receives death and eternal separation from God. If we don't get that, then there is no grace. If we think we're good enough, if we think that there's anything that we offer him, if it's 99% Jesus and 1% us, then we have nothing. 
We have no hope because then there's literally 0% chance that we're going to be able to do it because we're not good enough. And anybody who tells you otherwise is lying. They're selling you something. The fact of the matter is we can't ever be good enough on our own. But we are more than enough, more than conquerors, more than victorious, fully, completely, wholly accepted in Christ when we receive that gift of grace by faith not by our works, not by any righteousness in ourselves, but according to God's mercy alone. Then he calls us his children and he loves us and he he wants to hold us on his lap. He wants to bless us and pour out all of the treasures of heaven on us. But when we come in and we seek the treasures and we get our focus on our, our self and our stuff and our status rather than on Christ alone, then then we make everything else into idols. Mm-hmm. and we put ourselves in, in opposition to God, that's not a good place to be. Well, I think in, in Western culture especially, I feel like that's almost contradictory to the things that we are brought up with as a society. We're, we're taught essentially to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and yeah. do things on our own and be independent. So, so changing that mindset, quote-unquote, is... I think that's kind of hard for people to grasp, but I have to completely let go of myself yeah. and, and thinking that I can do anything to change my, my overall situation. Right. Uh, Spiritually. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, no, and, not, and, I don't, and that's yeah, an I don't important mean, like, distinction to make right. because yes. I, I think we, we, the devil loves that pendulum ride that, right. that we've talked about a lot of times. Where because God does call us to get up and do things, the, you know, <laughs> the, the same Paul who writes inspired by the Holy spirit writes that, that, it is completely 100% by grace through faith. Right. And, and, you know, the righteous shall live by, the just shall live by faith. All of the focus on faith from Paul, he's the same guy that, that says to the Thessalonian church, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Right. So there's a lot of, in your daily life, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. There's a lot of uh, Jesus and Paul both saying the same things. Stop stealing. Start working. Stop being a freeloader. Get up and do something. Make this present life, you work. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But you can't work for your salvation. You work out the salvation you've already received. There's literally nothing you can do to get saved other than say, I get it. Right. I am a wretch. You are the Lord. And if you're calling me your child... That's what I want to be. I and want to be. People don't your want child. to admit that. Who wants to admit that? I'm right. a, you know, that's that's. No, they want to say, well, I'm not as bad as so and so, or yeah. oh, this was one. I haven't done that in a long time, or whatever. It's it's hard to admit that. Yeah, I'm a garbage person, right. and you know. And again, that pendulum swing that right. the devil likes to keep us on. He likes to keep us, you know, you know, swinging this way where it's, you know, we have this cheap grace idea where right. oh, we pray a prayer, we ask Jesus into our heart, and we have. You know, you know, if I believe this set of beliefs, then I'm good. All bets are off, and I, I say this, there's no rules I, like right. Little Caesars commercial. You know, I can, put your shirt back on. Uh, there's one rule. You know, and so then it swings back the other way, and and so that, you know, well, that cheap grace, that's terrible. So we go to a legalism. We, right. we try to justify ourselves you by the law. Say the right things. So you're right. not a Christian if you don't live all these this checklist of stuff, right. which is the heresy that Paul addresses in his letter to the Galatians, and we see so much of this back and forth from mystical, you know, it, it's all special knowledge and, and you know, Secrets. 
and then we go to the other side and it's all obey the law and be circumcised and you know be baptized and be put this know, much money here and yeah, this, and, you know. And if you don't live according to my checklist, that's what the Pharisees were guilty of. God has commands. Well, we don't want to see anybody mess up God's commands, so we're going to add on a whole bunch of right, other right, commands. Right. And if you don't follow our commands, then you're really obviously not serious about God's well, commands. Amendments, right. So we do that same thing, mm-hmm. none of which is what God wants. Right. So whether Ananias, let's say he's not trying to gain the respect of people. Maybe Ananias sincerely is thinking that, that God is demanding me to do this. Nobody's telling him that, but let's, let's say he thinks that. Well, can I... Then we end up cheating on that because right. we're not going to live up to those standards. Go ahead. But Ananias didn't... So the, so the passage, passage, passage says, or we're led to believe, it's not that necessarily that he wanted to keep some of the money for himself just to have the money. It was that he wanted to give X amount for show. I'm sure that he... You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm sure I think that he didn't, you know, I'm sure that he was, you know, wanted some of that money, but I think that's the reasonable and logical inference. It it doesn't specify either way in the passage. It's right. a very short story, um, but based on what he does, cuz there's in, it's a twofold here. It's it's a little bit of greed and a little bit of Right. Show. When when you set that next to what happens with Barnabas, right. which is just a quick two-sentence right. blurb. You set those two things next to each other. And you compare and contrast them. And then you see what Peter says. It, if he was just greedy, if he just wanted stuff, he didn't have to sell anything. Right. Right. And, and Peter clarifies that. If you just if you couldn't afford it or if you just didn't want to, it would have been easy. You keep it right. or sell it and only say you're giving part of it. Right. Any of those options are available. So it doesn't appear that this has anything to do with his greed. Okay in a direct sense. I mean, right. clearly there's some sort of greed operating as Bing Crosby would say, there's a little larceny operating in all of us. But um, now I got myself in a white Christmas mode and I've forgotten it's what I was saying. It's about to look like so one. As, as we see the story unfold, greed was there. And, you know, and it reminds me actually a little bit of what's going on in the church now with, uh, you know, when I say the church, I, I use my little air quotes. Say it in 15 uh, seconds. <laughs> that we we have people who are, are trying to promote the LGBT agenda or yeah. the sexual revolution in a variety of different ways. But that's never been an issue. Homosexuality has been around since, you know, maybe transgenderism hasn't, but, you know, it, it probably hasn't, just wasn't recorded, I don't know. But but homosexuality has been around since Genesis. Mm-hmm. Sexual well, immorality. Let's talk about men not wearing women's clothes. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of sexual deviance, which is that by itself is a term we don't use anymore. Um, and, and there's a whole lot of sexual morality. That's not new. Right. But what we're seeing as the, the real battleground is the authority of Scripture. That, that's the focus, is how can we undermine the authority of, of God's Word? And the same thing, or, or a similar thing, is happening here. Greed's not new. Greed's not, that's not the issue. The issue here is the portrayal of one thing and the living out of another the hypocrisy yeah. of it that you're you're lying to the holy spirit <laughs> like that's gonna work you know the yeah. holy spirit sees you all think you're getting away with something so everything is is laid bare before the one to whom we give an account according to hebrews four thirteen. there's nothing that god doesn't see so that doesn't even make sense right. but that's a pretty clear indication that we don't get it 
Right. We're, we're not really grasping the reality of Christ because our eyes, our focus is on the stuff around us. It's on ourself, you know, taking care of ourselves, our stuff, our possessions, and, and our status among other people. What are people going to think about me? And when we see those things, we're going to live in a world of frustration and anxiety and, again, opposition to God. He's taking us a certain direction, and though that, that focus on self-stuff and status as opposed to turning our eyes upon Jesus, that moves us in a way that is contrary to what God is trying to do in our lives. I think there's a lot more we could talk about here, but we are over our time, so we're going to stop there for today. But as always, if you have any questions or comments about uh, this particular section or anything that we've looked at so far in Acts, uh, feel free to send us an email, somethingreal at reallifeonline.org. Send us a Facebook message, voicemail, you know, whatever you want to do. Uh, and we will definitely bring that up on a future show. In the words of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, be excellent to each other. That's how we should end every show now. I think that's probably copywritten. Probably. (laughs) Don't sue us. All right. Thanks for listening.